We're starting a brand new series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We have so much to go over, um, so we're just going to get right into it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go through a bunch of different scripture uh, this evening. And of course, if you don't have a Bible, we are going to have all of the words on the screen. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 26. I'm reading from the NIV this evening. Uh, Matthew 26, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So here you see Jesus in his soul, in this deep part of him, is suffering and is sorrowful. In fact, the Bible says that he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Of course, this is just days before his execution and he sees this coming. But really, even from early on, Jesus' life and ministry is marked by emotions. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because, of so, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, I've been there, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So Jesus is exhausted here by all the crowds, so much so that he doesn't even get a chance to get um, a bite to eat. And so he tells his disciples to come away with him so that they can find some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns to get there ahead of them. Remember, they're on a boat. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, remember, he was hoping to get away from the crowds. That was his vision. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So gosh, what a, what a human emotion that we see Jesus have here, hoping to get away from people and unable to do so, but still when he sees people who need help, still having compassion on them. Luke chapter 7 verse 11 says this, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. So here you see Jesus having empathy for this woman who has lost her only son. She's a widow, so this would leave her utterly and completely alone. Then Luke chapter 10, just a few pages over, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So here you see Jesus spilling over with joy, real, authentic, human joy. Continuing on, Luke chapter 12, verse 49, I came to bring fire to the earth, Jesus says, and how I wish it was already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I am under until it is completed. So Jesus here, of course, he's talking about his baptism in, in he's talking about his death, really. And, I, and he says this, he's stressed. Isn't that great? Jesus says, I am so stressed right now. I think it's amazing. John chapter two, verse 13 
when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, we just got a couple more because these are just so mind-numbing. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So here you see Jesus consumed with anger. You could even say rage because of his passion for justice. Uh, I I always feel like this is the story that gets skipped in Sunday school. Back when I was in Sunday school, we had flannel board. Y'all remember that? Is anyone old enough to remember flannel board? Now we have iPads back there. You guys probably don't know anything about flannel board. Just Google it. It might not even be on there. It might not even have, uh, it might not be even Googleable. But there were like these little felt things that would go on the flannel board. And it just never seemed like this story made its way. You know, it's like, here's Jesus with a whip flipping, like, here's Jesus with his angry eyes. <laughs> never, never found uh, its way. Uh, one more, uh, at a funeral is where we find Jesus. He's at the funeral of his friend Lazarus. He's at the gravesite in John chapter 11. Verse 33, when he saw her, this is Mary, weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. So here we see Jesus in this really interesting interaction between love and grief which is actually really common. When you lose someone that you love, you feel this interesting concoction of emotions, both love and grief. But Jesus was was an emotional being. In fact, I would argue that Jesus was a highly emotional being. Some people think of Jesus kind of like as Spock, you know, just like cold, um, distant, detached, you know, he's just like, he sees all of our emotions and thinks it's just utterly uh, perplexing. But Jesus was an emotional being. Uh, And the reason is this, is because Jesus was a human being. And that's not to discount his divinity. Of course, we believe he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And, And so he experienced the full range of human emotions, both pleasant and unpleasant. I don't know if you guys know this, but to be human is to feel. Um, In fact, even if you think about like science fiction, think about when they make the distinction between robots and humans, what is the major distinction? Emotions. In fact, if you were to say to someone like, you're such a robot, like what you mean is like, you don't feel anything. Uh, But to be human is to feel. And so we uh, we are made in the image of a God who is um, deeply emotional. And so we too, in the same way, we experience a whole range of emotion. We experience positive emotions, which are great. We experience joy, peace, hope, gratitude, relief, calm. And then we have this whole other range of all these negative emotions too, anxiety, depression, fear, terror, sorrow, disappointment, bitterness, jealousy, hate, rage. And so most of us in the room, we know what to do when it comes to the positive emotions. Just make them last as long as possible. You know what I mean? Like just savor it and enjoy it. Just post it on Instagram and then it'll last forever. But I think most people, 
most people in the world have no idea what to do with um, the other emotions. I don't know if you know this, but we all experience in this world pain. And some of you in the room experience a ton of it. Uh, But most of us, I'd say the vast majority of human beings have absolutely no idea how to handle um, their emotions, which of course brings us to this incredible book I uh, started reading. It all started with a journey. I just want to disclaim, sometimes pastors read books um, for preaching material, and sometimes we read books just to survive. Well, this was the second one. I just read the book. Me personally, I was just so, uh, so blown away by, um, uh, by it, so I just had to share it with you guys. But it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's by this guy, Peter Scazzaro. I've got a picture of Peter. Um, this is him. He's from New York. Does he look like he's from New York? He looks... Uh, yeah, so the, basically the short, the short story um, is he plants a church like five or, six, five or six years in. He plants this church, I believe, in Queens. And it's all going really good. Everything's really cool. Everything, the church on the surface, everything is great. It's continuing to grow. But on the inside, he understands that he is deeply unhealthy. In fact, he has this really big fight with his wife this one night, like this, you know, relationship-defining fight. And she just says to him, eventually, she just says this, I quit. She says, I'm not divorcing you or anything, but I'm leaving your church because you are a terrible pastor, and this is not a healthy church. And she said, I'm leaving. I'm going, I'm going to another church. And I can't, I don't know if that's not, uh, that's not appropriate in a lot of ways. It would be hard to sell that from the pulpit. And if you want to know what happens, well, read the book. But yeah, but it's just kind of like autobiography. It's kind of like him just telling his story. But uh, the idea is he really masked, he, because he, he thought like things are good because he's planning a church. He's serving God. He's doing God's work. So he just assumed that everything was great. But what he didn't realize is there was this huge undercurrent under the surface, which was a deeply unhealthy uh, person. And so the whole idea behind the book, this is really the tagline of the book, is it's not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And he gives all these different examples. Uh, See if any of these ring true uh, for you. You can be a dynamic, gifted speaker for God in public and be an unloving spouse and parent at home. You can function as a church board member or pastor and be unteachable, insecure, and defensive. You can memorize entire books of the New Testament and still be unaware of your depression and anger, even displacing it on other people. You can fast and pray a half a day a week for years as a spiritual discipline and constantly be critical of others, justifying it as discernment. How about this? You can lead hundreds of people in, the Christian, in a Christian ministry while driven by a deep personal need to compensate for a nagging sense of failure. And then finally, you can pray from, for deliverance from the demonic realm when in reality you are simply avoiding conflict repeating an unhealthy pattern of behavior traced back to the home in which you grew up. And so I, I just want you to know this, that as, as church, an outlet is guilty as, as anybody, I think we have a tendency to teach you spiritual stuff. So we want to teach you how to read your Bible. We want to teach you how to pray. Uh, we want to teach you um, about Jesus. We want to teach you about the the, like the kingdom of God and how that's different than the kingdom of the world. So we want to teach you like a lot of spiritual stuff, but oftentimes we don't spend enough time teaching you how to feel. 
Um, and so we have a lot of Christians walking around that look mature, but they're not because deep down they're just essentially spiritual babies. And so we, so we have people who love Jesus, but just aren't healthy people. Ultimately, like you love Jesus, but you're just really mean. <laughs> you know, like, like you, you love Jesus, you're just really passive aggressive. Or maybe you love Jesus, but you're just really insecure and needy. Or you really love Jesus, but you don't know how to stay in a relationship because you're emotionally immature. And so the author would come and he would tell us this, is that if you're not emotionally mature, then you're not ultimately mature at all. Because being a follower of Jesus Christ is not just about your spiritual life. It's about being a follower of Jesus in every area of your life. And Jesus, let me say it like this, Jesus was emotionally healthy. He was emotionally healthy. And so I'm, I'm not preaching this message um, because it's going to be like five weeks. I am not preaching this message as someone who is like, has this really dialed in. In fact, in a lot of ways, I read these and I think the most guilty person in the room is probably going to be David. Uh, I was, I was actually, I was laughing with Brad just this past week is that I was working on this sermon and I don't know if you know this, but I tend to be kind of like an obsessive personality. You probably do know that. Uh, but I do. And so I have, I have an ability to just focus in, in like an incredibly complex and overwhelming way where I just, and so I was working on this, working on this sermon, I was preparing and I was writing words just to let you know, uh, for me, the goal, the right amount of words to write for a sermon, it's right about a thousand words. And I had writ, I writ like over 5,000 words for tonight. And so it's like, that's, if you don't know anything about computer, that's a lot of words. It took a long time. And I, and I knew, I knew that I wasn't going to even use the vast majority of it, but I just, I just kind of like tend to be obsessive and I want to be super good. And I'm kind of like this mixture of driven and insecure. And so all that to say, I am not the guy who um, is the model in any of this stuff. But I do think that there's a bunch of us in the room that really need this. And some, some of you might be thinking, it's too late, too far gone. Uh, so so um, we have got a long way to go together. We have got a lot uh, to talk about. And so um, I just need to get into it. Uh, here, here's just a little bit of teaching. The way that I think of it, I think that there are essentially three ways that people tend to deal with emotional pain. Uh, the first one kind of comes from Eastern spirituality. Uh, you could say probably most of all, um, we'll just focus on Buddhism. Buddhism is more of, in my opinion, it's more of a way of life than some sort of spirituality. In fact, in Buddhism, uh, God isn't even a person. And so there's actually, if you don't know this, there's actually a lot of good stuff in Eastern spirituality. They have a lot of understanding when it comes to your mind that is really beautiful and powerful and true and super in line with the teachings of Jesus. But of course, with a lot of things and kind of like earthly, secular um, ways of thinking, just at some point, the Christian will have to diverge at a certain point. So, so the Buddha would come and say, essentially this, this is the idea, is that all suffering is ultimately a byproduct of desire and attachment. Like the reason that you're suffering is because you are clinging uh, to things. And so, so the Buddha would say this, that the way that we deal um, with pain is by detaching from all desire, which sounds very Jedi Knight, right? Like you just don't care. Um, 
So it's just like, let go, be free, transcend, rise above, become enlightened. But that's one of the ways that people deal with emotional pain. The other one I would say is kind of like the traditional Western spirituality. We could talk about Christianity, of course, here. And I think of, when I think of like traditional Christianity, I tend to think something like this. Our posture is like, Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty and we're part of God's family now. And so we're not alone anymore and we're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. You know what I mean? Like we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And like, if your emotions tell you otherwise, well, you just tell them to take a hike which sounds pretty good, like on paper. Like problem is, what what do you do when you preach that little sermon to your soul and your emotions say like, well, I don't really care what you think. And you still find yourself um, depressed or in unbelievable pain. Well Well then what does a Christian do then? Well, I'd say the vast majority of Christians, what they do is fake it. And that's... um, can I just say this? The world knows we have a tendency to fake it. They know. Even if we don't know, they know. But that's really what we tend to do is we tend to just say like, I am not feeling this right now. I am not feeling this. I am not feeling bad. I'm feeling good. So we just suppress it and we ignore it and we put on like the new Hillsong CD, you know, and we're just like, this is not happening as long as I can say that I'm not feeling, then I'm not feeling. Um, so I would consider that kind of like a cheap shot at traditional, uh, like Western spirituality. The third one, uh, the third of three, I would say is what I would call secularism. So secularism is kind of like the anti-spirituality. Uh, the idea here is this, is that suffering is real and there's just nothing you can do about it. Like there is just pain. It reminds me of uh, the man in black in The Princess Bride. You remember that? My next slide when he says this, life is pain. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Part of me that actually kind of likes that. Um, But I'm sure you, you can see like this is the basic posture of the secularist, which is this, yeah, it's called suffering. Get used to it. We all uh, suffer. And the only thing that a secularist can do is essentially escape it. So they can distract themselves. So you end up distracting yourself with drugs, alcohol, video games, movies, books, music, work, learning, money, shopping, relationships, sex. How about this one? Your phone. (laughs) There's a lot of people who just distract themselves from the pain that happens on the inside of them all the time by just looking at their phone every 45 seconds. And it's, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing idea that now we as Americans, like we never have to be alone with ourselves for not even 30 seconds if we choose. And it's just a secular way of dealing with pain, ultimately, because you're just distracting yourself. You're just fleeing from pain. So this is what's interesting, is that Eastern spirituality, which teaches us to just detach, and then Western spirituality, which just says like, put on a worship CD and ignore it. And then secularism, which just says like, get drunk and check your phone. <laughs> Uh, the thing that they all have in common is essentially this. It's all running away. It's all running away from the things that are going on on the inside of you. And you can see that all three of these views are alive, certainly in Albuquerque, but I would say even in this room. And I bet if you're being honest, you could even maybe see yourself in this array a little bit. You might be thinking like, yeah, for me, it's Game of Thrones. I'm on season five. 
Or, or yeah, for me, whenever I feel pain, I just go to another Bible study that week. I just obsess with going to more and more church to try to feel better. Or maybe for you, it's like, I just ignore my feelings and I just detach. That's how I deal with it. But the same thing in all of the cases, which is essentially running away, running away from the way that you feel. But in Jesus, we see another way. Um, So just to be clear, being emotionally healthy does not mean that you are happy all the time. You know that, right? Like, I think sometimes the emotionally healthy response is sorrow. Like just this past Wednesday, we had a funeral uh, for a 25-year-old girl who was murdered. And they don't even know what happened. She was just dropped off at a hospital. And so, so the emotionally healthy person does not run in and, you know, start slapping fives with everybody. That would be emotionally unhealthy. The emotionally healthy thing to do would be to enter in to their pain. And so uh, tonight I want to introduce you to kind of a cool, uh, cool Greek word. Uh, we don't do a lot of Greek in here, but just occasionally it fits the bill. Luke chapter four, verse one, it says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the word I want to focus on here is wilderness. So wilderness is this word, eremos. Can you say that word with me? Eremos. Eremos means essentially desolate or uh, emptiness. Oftentimes in the Bible, this word is translated the solitary place. Um, And so why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the Eremos, into uh, the wilderness, into solitude? Well, of course, there's a couple reasons. Uh, A lot of people would traditionally say, uh, biblical historians would say, well, it's because he has to do this big clash with Satan and he needs to succeed where Adam and Eve failed. And that's certainly true. But there is something else happening here. And I think when a lot of people picture Jesus in the wilderness, they they think of Jesus in weakness, you know, like he has been, he's been fasting for 40 days. Um, he is completely and utterly alone. But what if I told you that um, for Jesus, the Eremos was not his place of weakness, but of strength. In fact, I've been reading a lot of Dallas Willard, who's an amazing theologian. If you're looking for a good and dense book to read, uh, Divine Conspiracy, highly recommended, but he says this, uh, most of whom I have spoken about this matter are shocked at the suggestion that the wilderness, the place of solitude and deprivation was actually the place of strength and strengthening for our Lord and that the spirit led him there as he would lead us there to ensure that Christ was in the best possible condition for the trial. Listen to this. In that desert solitude, Jesus fasted for more than a month. Then and not before, Satan was allowed to approach him with his glittering proposals of bread, notoriety, and power. We've talked about those three. Only then was Jesus at the height of his strength. The desert was his fortress, his place of power. Throughout his life, he sought the solitary place. And you can actually see that this is true in the life of Jesus, is that he consistently is in this place of getting away. You ever notice that? Like sometimes he's, Jesus is like slipping out in the middle of the night. Like he's always, he's always like wanting to exit to uh, the Eremos. And so if we were to talk about spiritual disciplines, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, spiritual disciplines, but throughout the last 2000 years, people have been arguing about like what the core spiritual disciplines are and everybody has their own list and they're all different. But I I would say it like this. There are five spiritual disciplines that appear on every list of spiritual disciplines. And there are these silence, solitude, 
prayer, fasting, and meditation. And so I would make the argument that the average American is probably terrible at all of these. But wouldn't you agree probably the most terrible at the first two, silence and solitude? I think the average American is terrified of the idea of silence and solitude, especially us wonderful young people who are so connected with our cell phone. I don't know about you, but I don't even pee without checking my phone. I just can't handle the idea of being by myself sometimes for even 45 seconds. And I know that I'm not alone because I eat with some of you. And we just can't, you can't even function without looking at our phone all the time. So what a terrifying idea, a silent world, no traffic, no cell phone, no music, or a, a solitary world, no other people, no friends, no family, no spouse, no boyfriend, just you and God. And I think if we're being honest, that scares the bejeebers out of most of us, even if we're talking about something like 10 minutes. Um, and so when you see Jesus going into the Eremos, you can see that it's a lot of different times. Sometimes it's as much as 40 days. Other times it's as, as um, short as like one hour in the morning. So we're not talking necessarily about this huge, like leave the world behind in your van and, you know, just me in my van and backpack and granola bars. Like we're not talking about just like that. We, we, it can even be something like just one hour in the morning where you refuse to be hurried, where, you're, where it's just you and, and you give God the opportunity to speak to you and you give God the opportunity to maybe show you what's going on on the inside of you. And so for me, for me personally, I am a morning person. Uh, my wife and I, our alarm bings 5.30, like clockwork, it pops up and we're just, we're just there and we're fine with that. And so there have been seasons that for me, like I really enjoy this season of, um, or like this little time of just having some time where I'm not going fast yet because I have this propensity to just go and go and go. And once my phone starts binging, like it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop till 9 p.m. Like I preached this morning and I looked at my phone and I had, I had 13 unread texts and I was up there for like 30 minutes. You know, so it, it just has this propensity of like going, going, going. But there have been seasons for me where I really enjoyed that first part in the morning. For my wife, that is her time. She wakes up at 5.30, she, and she has a solid hour there where she does the American thing. She gets coffee, and she sits down, and that is just her time, and she holds that really sacred. And I would say for her, a lot of her spiritual growth happens when she's slowed down and when she's doing something deliberate and on purpose, going into the Eremos. For me now, in this part of my life, I don't do it in the morning because I'm just far too into racquetball. And so, uh, so I'm not in the mornings anymore. I, it, I'm traditionally not, but I have also been in seasons. I just switch it up. That's kind of my personality. I just need things to move and change. There've also been times where in the evenings we'll get home, we'll have dinner, and then I will go into our garage for two hours and I'll just be in there and I have my Bible and there's no technology and I'm just opened wide you know, and I'm just thinking and I'm praying and prayer, of course, is two-way communication. So it doesn't have to be just that you're uttering words all the time. You can also just be in this place where you're just being aware, where you're listening to the voice of God, but you're also just listening to the spirit of God. 
and what he would reveal uh, for you. So it's really going to be individual how that works uh, for you. But the idea is that you would slow down and that you would pray and that you would spend some time to look beneath the surface. And really that's the big idea of the week is to look uh, beneath the surface. Peter uh, Schizero, he's the guy who wrote the book. He says this, emotionally healthy Christians are able to take a deep, hard look inside their hearts, asking, what is going on that Jesus Christ is trying to change? Listen to this. They understand that a person's life is like an iceberg with the vast majority of who we are lying deep beneath the surface. They invite God to bring to their awareness and to transform those beneath the surface layers that keep them from becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so I, I just want you to know this, and it's important um, to get a little leverage here as we continue on in this series, but there are tons of people, even I would say this, tons of people in the room that have self-destructive patterns and you don't even realize it. Ways of dealing with yourself that is destroying you and you don't even know it. Ways of acting that are destroying your relationship and you don't even know it. Ways of acting that is destroying you at work and you don't even realize um, that it's you. Did you know this, that humans are the only creatures that can think about what they're thinking about? So we can think about what we're thinking about. Like dogs can't do that. They just think bone. <laughs> but we can, we can be aware of what's going on in our own interior lives. We are all able to do that. Most people don't. Most people are just going with um, the flow. And so my challenge for you uh, tonight, this introductory week of the series is this. Find a time where you and God can get alone and look beneath the surface of your heart. Find a time where you and God can get alone and look beneath the surface of your heart to where you could just become a little bit aware. Like, man, I was pretty, I was pretty rude to my husband today. Like, what, like why is that? And, and just take the time to notice and then maybe, maybe even ask God, like, what is it in me that is producing this? Like, that seemed oddly sharp. Anyone, anyone else like that? I find myself oddly sharp all the time where I'm like, whoa, I don't know where that came from. And I know that that is unraveled in the Eremos, in the calm, in the quiet, where I'm taking the time and allowing God to show me what's happening under the surface. Some of you in this room are deeply insecure and you don't even know that. So it ends up just being overbearing and rude. That's what it comes out as. Some of you in the room have deep anger issues and you don't even know it. So you, but you just think, you just think, man, people in my life are always doing the wrong thing. When in reality, it has, it has nothing to do with them and everything to do with what's going on in you under the surface. Uh, this story I just think is so amazing in Matthew chapter 26, we read a part of it, but this is um, Jesus near the end of his ministry. Verse 36, it says this, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, these are his three closest disciples, along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. No, this is not a teenager. This is Jesus in his 30s. 
being sorrowful to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, Jesus in this moment is thick in emotional pain. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed. So at this point, he's on the floor. He's on the floor, buckled over with emotions. And he says this, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. So he's mad and he's, he's frustrated. And he says this, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. So Jesus here, he doesn't deal with his emotions in an Eastern spirituality kind of way. He doesn't just have a Zen moment where he detaches from reality and say like, I don't care if I live or I die. No, he cared. He wanted to not die. He had, he had real desire, nor did Jesus deal with his emotions in a Western spirituality way where he just puts on his favorite Christian CD and says like, I'm head, not the tail above and not beneath, like he, he didn't do that either. Um, nor does Jesus deal with his emotions in a secular way where he just says, well, life is pain, get used to it. Where's my flask? You know, like he doesn't do that either. But what Jesus does here is he deals with his emotions. He feels his emotions and he even expresses his emotions. Why is that? Well, because Jesus was emotionally healthy. And he wasn't, he wasn't running from the things that he felt. And so two, two little points from this uh, story. Number one is this, Jesus is aware of his emotions. That's what we see. And so I, I just love people who can be aware of their own moodiness. If I ever hear anyone say like, I'm sorry, I'm just like really moody right now. I just think you are awesome. Because at least you know that, you know what I mean? At least you're not just like thinking I'm annoying. You know what I mean? Like, why are you breathing so loud? You know what I mean? And it's like, are you sure it's not anything to do with you? No? Okay. But Jesus was aware of his emotions. He knew how he was feeling. He said, my soul is deeply troubled. He knew that's what was happening. He wasn't blaming other people. He knew that's what was going on. And number two is this, Jesus knows why he feels the way that he feels. He says this, may this cup be taken away from me. See, he's overwhelmed because of his death. You know what I mean? And so he knows that that's what um, he's feeling. If you put some of us in this same position, we would probably just be like, it's you guys, you're the problem. No, he knows that he's feeling the way that he's feeling and he knows why he feels that. You ever notice, like sometimes I find myself like in the car and like somebody like cuts me off and sometimes I'm just fine with it. It's like, eh, maybe they're in a hurry. I don't care. Who, who cares? And then there's other times where that happens and like my blood boils. It's like same, same scenario, right? It's not like they did anything different, but there's something that goes on in me. And so, so one thing that as we continue to follow after Jesus, we just become aware of our interior lives and how that affects the way that we treat other people. We don't always blame the other person. We know, well, this is all, all life is going through the filter of me. And so if I find myself, I just feel like every other person in the known universe is equally annoying. 
well, it might not be them. It might be me. And so, so that's, but that's what Jesus, Jesus was aware of his emotions and Jesus knows why he feels the way he feels. So for Jesus, when he would get away, like in these moments, for, uh, when he would get away into the Eremos, it's not just to read the Bible and to pray. It's also for him to get in touch with himself and to ask the why question. And so, so this is our template as followers of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we do is we, come, we, come, we become aware of how we're feeling. Maybe like this, man, I just, I'm just, I just feel really, I've just been really moody lately. Or, you know, I've just been really down this week. Or I'm just really on edge with my roommate here and I'm not sure why. Or I'm just feeling off and wanting to watch like a lot of Game of Thrones. Like, I, but I'm just feeling, there's, I'm feeling like there's something happening in my interior life. We become aware of how we're feeling. And number two is this, we ask the why question. And so it's like, you just think this, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really stressed out. Like, I wonder why. And again, that's beautiful because only humans can do that. Only humans can say, I'm stressed out, I wonder why. I'm just really on edge lately, I wonder why. Like, I'm, re- I'm really sad lately, I wonder why. I'm, I'm just super sensitive right now, like, I wonder why. Or, or maybe something like this. Like, when I see someone who's really happy online, or it seems like they're really happy online, it kind of makes me feel a little bit sad. Like, I wonder why. Or, or like, why am I always comparing myself to other people? Like, why, why am I so short with everybody lately? Or like, why, why does it seem like I hate my job when all of my other coworkers seem to be doing completely fine? Because it might have something to do with your interior life. And some people, I'll just be honest with you, are really afraid of thinking like that because you're afraid of what you might find. You know, like maybe for you, you might find something like this, like I'm still mourning the loss of my dad. Or I'm still mourning the loss of my mom. And I just, I just don't want to remember that. So I would rather just be mean. <laughs> or, or, you know, like I just, I don't want to be aware of the fact that I am insecure. And I'm afraid of what people think of me. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm unsure of my body or my voice or my skin or my performance or my ability to preach cool, like whatever it is, uh, you just don't even want to think that. And so you end up just running from that. Um, But emotionally healthy people sometimes have to go to scary places. Because if you don't hear me, it has a way of spilling out in the worst moments. And it has a way of spilling out on even the people that you love the most dearly. So if I was to give you a little bit of practical advice when you think about your emotions this week, it would be this. I want you to think about emotions like this. Emotions are signals. Um, Listen, sometimes emotions are just stupid, right? And we just tell them to shut up. Like, got it. We all know that. We all know that sometimes we just think weird and we should just not worry about it because what we're thinking is crazy. But I think a lot of times um, emotions are really signals for something else that's happening in your life. Um, and even though sometimes they can be unpleasant, they can be a huge help because they show us what's happening in our interior lives. I think about, think about like the, the lights on the dashboard of the car. You know what I mean? Like, let's say there's these lights and they bing on. Like, you don't want to just say like, how can I turn off these lights? I want to turn off these lights. Can I just unplug the bulbs? 
Like that would be great if we just unplug the bulbs and then there would never be any lights on the dashboard. It's trying to tell you to change your oil. You know what I mean? So, so, so the prayer for the Christian is not this, Jesus, take away my emotions. The prayer is this, why am I feeling like this? What is this showing about me? And so um, as we close, so much, we just need to get like, we need to go farther. Now I'm bummed that we have to take off two weeks, but there's just so much still to say. But um, my closing encouragement for you would be this. What if our emotions, good and bad, are places to meet with God? And what if God is waiting for us there? And as you find your way into your interior life, um, that's a great and beautiful opportunity to understand yourself and to understand God. Uh, Dr. Tremper Longman III, which is the greatest name I've ever heard. Tremper, what do you think his friends call him? Tremp. Hey, Tremp. Tremper Longman says this, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. Listen to this. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. In neglecting our intense emotions, listen to this, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. So again, so much more to say, but we're gonna close in communion uh, as we usually do. And I just want you to... Uh, think about this and think about you, think about your life. And the encouragement is this, is that wherever you're at um, tonight, like maybe, maybe you're at the top of the world. You know what I mean? Like you're on date number three and she's sitting right next to you. And you're just like, this is the best. This is the best day that I've ever seen. Her hand brushed my hand. Um, I like to pretend that you guys are that innocent. I know you're probably not. Um, maybe you're at the top of the world. Hand brushing, that's what I'm hoping. That's where I'm hoping you guys are at at the bases. Hand brushing. Uh, <laughs> so weird. But what, maybe you are though. Maybe you're like at, you're at the top and everything is just so great for you. And listen, so you're full of joy and peace and expectation and beauty. Listen, that is a place for you to meet with God. Meet with him there. Include him in the way that you feel. And when you're at the top of the mountain and you can't stop but singing a song, include him in that because that's a beautiful place to know God. Or maybe for you, you are like at the bottom and maybe for you, like you're depressed or you're anxious or you have endured incredible pain. Well, that's also a place for you to meet with God. You can just bring him into that. Did you, did you know this? That over two thirds of the Psalms are lament, are mourning 
And as weird as it sounds, that's our prayer book. That's the Jewish prayer book is over two thirds mourning, teaching us how to include God into even the bad parts of our world. And even when Jesus is hunched over to death and he is grieved more than he has ever been, like he still reaches out and you know what he says to God? My father, my father. So he includes him even in unbelievable pain. And so that's what I want you to do uh, tonight if, you, um, if you're at a place where you're able to, is just to spend a moment as we pass communion, just spend a little bit of time inviting him in. Just seeing where you're at. Like, am I at a good place? Am I at a bad place? Am I somewhere in the middle? Like, what are my emotions doing right now? And then just find a way to invite him into that. So you guys can go ahead and pass. communion invitation is on the screen. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come to the table. 
So Father, tonight I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room. Uh, all of us on unique journeys with unique relationships, uh, unique hearts and unique ways of seeing the world. And as we set aside this time to think about our interior lives and just check in on how we're doing, we pray that you would be our guide, that you would show us, show us how to handle all these different things. I mean, so much power and passion on the inside of us. We pray that you would help us navigate that and live lives that are honoring of you, that we would be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ in every area not just the spiritual stuff, but the emotional stuff as well. Give us the courage to, to dig beneath the surface and to expose our hearts to you. And as the people in this room would go home and find some time, five minutes even, that you would use that time to show them, show them their own hearts so that you can, with them, move past some of the brokenness and begin to heal uh, some of those wounds. Father, we believe that you are the great architect of our hearts and you know it most of all. And so we say thank you for your patience and we say thank you for your help. So Jesus, tonight we remember your death. We proclaim your resurrection and we await your return. We remember your death. We proclaim your resurrection, and we await your return. So let's eat the bread and drink from the cup together. as you finish, will you please stand with me? I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for being here. Again, there is so much to say. We would love if you would commit to be here for the rest of the series. We're just um, barely scratching the surface. There's so much um, beauty to find here, and I really, I really believe that it'll be a big deal for a lot of us. So please make every effort uh, to be here for the remainder of the series. Just a reminder, not next week for your moms. So come uh, to your mom's house next week, but the week after that, come here, uh, and we love you so much. You are dismissed. God bless you.